nice day are Shawnee saying something interesting that doesn't involve the Lions. And <laughs> I don't I don't have to make comments about that, which is good. The hard yards, passionate about sport. It's go to the short side. Oh, it's before, but I'm the referee on this field, not you. Hi Rob, Zeeb's here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. Oh, and Ring Rose comes through. Oh, that is brilliant from Ring Rose. Ring Rose is going here. What a score. This is The Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. We have a great show lined up for you today. I have James Downey and Pat McCurry in studio. Rory Best is joining us over the phone and I have a good interview with Dennis Leamy coming up later on in the show. Gents, good morning here in the studio. Morning. Good morning. Um, Mr. Best, good morning. Oh, good morning. <laughs> yeah. I want to know about your first impression of seeing Mr. Best in his Ulster get-up. Pat. <laughs> um, oh, it was, well, it's always uh, to take that trip up to, to Belfast and James was at, at that Ulster game as well was, uh, y- you know, it's a long trip up the road and you, you look forward to seeing someone like Rory playing on the pitch. But if you couldn't be playing just to get a glimpse of him looking so dapper in that blazer, um, you know, it's a good second prize. It made your evening. It, well, it was a, it made a big impression. That and that and uh, Pieta running amok made an impression on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you like um, do you like getting up in the gear when you're not playing, or would you prefer to be at home in the farm? Oh, uh, well, I don't know. It's a very tough one because you have to be. It's great being there to watch those games, and unfortunately, when you're there, you have to wear that gear. But um, I do enjoy being at home in the farm. But I'll look those. Those Friday nights, especially European Cup games, well, first of all, it's so cold. You have to wear as many layers as you can. Um, but they're also special games. And, and they're the ones when you're driving up that you really want to be playing in. And it annoys you a lot and frustrates you whenever you're not playing. Are you a good patient? Um, not at a start, I am. But whenever I get to a point um, when I suppose I almost get bored, that I just I want to get back playing and no matter what anyone says it's just not feeling right I feel right um, whereas at the start it's kind of like right well okay I'm injured what can I do to try to get back as quick as I can and do everything so a good patient to a point I think Do you, do you find it um, f- um, frustrating in terms of uh, I've seen some lads when they've had injuries that they actually separate themselves from the group and uh, they'll change in a different dressing room if they've got a kind of long term because they find it, well, I suppose, mentally uh, tough to kind of see everyone is on one wavelength and they're striving towards a goal and you're kind of not part of it. Do you struggle with that? Or do you, as if you're captain, you have to have to be there and G and everyone up the whole time? Uh, it is hard because you're usually on a different schedule. You know, you're in maybe a little bit earlier um, so you're in you're changing nobody's there and when the, when the rest of the boys are in to get changed to go to a meeting or a pitch that's whenever you have your physio rehab or weights and then sort of the afternoon work something similar as you're back in so from that side of things they don't necessarily change anywhere differently but you do find that your paths don't cross that much and you know like some of our long term injuries like the like of Marcel last year you know you, fade, you find you go days, weeks, sometimes even months without even really seeing him and you do feel that as a player um, I suppose the captain I've made a conscious effort to try to be involved because I, I didn't hope to be out for that long and with the new coaches, those changes to structures and plays and I needed to sit in a few of the meetings just to make sure that I was, I was up to speed 
to an extent. So it was a bit of a balancing act, and, and it is frustrating, and, and it is a lonely place at times whenever you're um, sort of there on your own day in, day out. It's like Groundhog Day. So when do you reckon you're back? Um, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Um, it's going to be very, very tight to play this weekend. Um, but it's not impossible. But hopefully it should mean that if I don't make this weekend, because it is very, very tight, I will play next weekend. Good stuff. Okay. Your um, your paths crossed before. Uh, the 2013, that tour to the US and Canada. It's a funny one, because Rory, was, Rory you, you were originally selected as captain for the touring squad. And James, you, you were in his injury cover. Yeah. Yeah. And then Rory was called up for the Lions. And then, Jimmy, you went on the tour. That's yeah. a good, good tour for you. Yeah, yeah, it worked out well, yeah, I suppose, for me personally, I guess. Yeah. No, but look, I, I, I don't think I ever played with, with Bestie and, uh, outside of that. Or That's right, I, was gonna, I don't camp, think you yeah. ever played together in a match. No, no, I don't think so. Um, but look, uh, uh, reputation precedes him, he's an absolute gent, and everyone speaks so highly of him, you can see why, because he was there for the first um, couple of sessions, and someone of that stature who uh, everyone looks up to, as I say, and it's someone you want to play for and is so passionate about and the Irish jersey and of course the Ulster jersey for himself so look, it, was, it was just one of those things isn't it well he's a respected man um, Rory Best you are Rory Best OBE <laughs> yeah yeah no that's a, that was a strange one not getting that but yeah we have um, I think we have some of very good friends in common as well Jimmy lived with uh, with a good friend of mine Roger Wilson in Northampton as well Um <laughs> He's, so sort of he's like, laughing nervously. Probably, the, it's, it's <laughs> probably the last set of it. Yeah, the last set of it, that's the better. Yeah, so I, I caught up with him on um, last Friday as well. We yeah. went for lunch. So it's very interesting to see him with a couple of kids and so. Oh, it's, it's very strange. Yeah, it's, it's very strange. It's, it's also it's typical of Roger that he basically spends his entire career not getting injured and then it's in a pre-season friendly playing junior rugby for Estonian as the team he's coaching now he breaks his thumb which is sort of uh, it's kind of funny enough I thought, I thought it was hilarious yeah yeah, it's one of those things where you you, you kind of see the uh, the benefits of prehab, and then when you stop, <laughs> when you stop actually doing it, <laughs> you get a knock in the most innocuous game. Yeah, well, you were you were back playing in the uh, in the UBL two weeks ago, weren't you, Jimmy? I was, yeah, yeah. First, eighty minutes, eighty minutes. <laughs> first game in, I think, well, first AIL or UBL game in ten years. How was the recovery? Took a few days. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's just say I'm not a big fan of a four G pitch. Yeah, I think you have to. It's something you kind of have to accustom your body to. I think it's more of a, a, a young, young guys uh, element. But no, I'm, I'm grand there. I'm grand. Two weeks off. I like yeah. that. One week on, two weeks off. Yeah. Sounds good. The uh, Rory, the um, I mentioned the farm earlier on. Uh, I was at I was at an event this week, and Sean O'Brien and Tyg Furlong were talking about farming, and Sean O'Brien said something quite interesting. Um, he was saying that he'd always thought he'd always pictured himself. Uh, that when he finished up he would raise a family on the farm he thought it was a great environment to, to grow up but he said that he didn't think he could make it work as his sole concern to actually raise the family and I, I was I thought of people like you I was wondering what your perspective was because I'm, I'm sure you're planning for when you have to hang up the boots like will farming sustain you? Yeah like that's well I suppose first of all it's 
nice day are Shawnee saying something interesting that doesn't involve the Lions. And <laughs> I don't I don't have to make comments about that, which is good. Um, look, I think he's he's a hundred percent right. It is a it is a big concern because it's such a, a if you come from a farming background, it's the way you want to bring your kids up. But like with our family farm, we already have my dad. He's supporting my mum and well my sister a little bit, even though she's working. Um, and um, my brother is there, and he's a wife and three kids to support. So if I came back now to 100% farm, that the farm couldn't sustain three families. So like it's it's something that if money didn't come into it and it was an ideal world, 100% I would just go back and farm and. I would really enjoy doing it, but unfortunately, um, we're all grown ups now, so it, it does come into it, and, and you have to make sure that you try to bridge that gap between the the income you have now and the future income. And you know, whether it's farming the way I am at the minute in a very part time fashion, um, and getting a, a I suppose a, a real job for want of a better word, or whether it's um, going back and farming full-time, just trying to do as much extra stuff as you can, um, rugby-related. So it's sort of, it's something that I'm, I'm given consideration to, but I do think, unfortunately, um, as much as I love doing it, farming is going to have to be still a, a bit of a part-time, almost hobby for me. So are you thinking coaching or are you thinking media work? Um, I'm, I'm not really sure um, to what extent. I'm not sure that... I necessarily want to pull on a tracksuit every day and go out and coach. Um, I do enjoy that. I do a little bit with Stanbridge um, there in Division 1B at the minute, and I enjoy that every Tuesday night. And it's just a, it's a great, it's just a real different look to, the, to rugby as opposed to professional game. But I think the thought of doing that every day, I'm not sure that I want to do that, but haven't sort of given so much to rugby I don't necessarily think that I want to completely walk away from it either um, and it's something that hopefully I still have a little bit more to play and it's just to what I'm trying to do bits and pieces of, of both a little bit of coaching maybe a little bit of media work along the way that I can get uh, and just see what what I enjoy doing the most so mm. that I'm not rushed into making a decision You said you enjoyed doing the, uh, the, the nights at the local club you also said it was different than the professional rugby. What do you mean by that? What, what's the bit you enjoy that's different from professional um, rugby? It's just, it's nice to see boys that are, are turning up there because they they want to, you know, and they're sacrificing things to be there. They're not getting paid to be there. And they're there, first they just want to play for the local club and they want to win for the local club, but mostly they're there for the crack. And... Um, like that's the bit that I because there's a few of them there that I would have played underage with and grown up with the rest of them would have been a few years behind me but I would have known from being around the club a little bit over the last number of years and just hearing the crack they have and um, and just I suppose the slagging like, it doesn't really matter who you are you come down there and you get slagged and stuff like they were out after one of the games in, in the club and one guy got a bit worse for worse so they stole his keys and they, they took the car right up to the very back pitch in the rugby club and parked it between the posts. You know, just things like that. You know, things that you wouldn't do at the Kingspan Stadium. <laughs> um, you know, just, it's just that sort of way. And it just for me, it just gives you a fresh look on, on all the good stuff that's being done around the club and, and the sacrifice that people are making. 
Yeah, Joe Marler was talking about something similar on the Lions tour, actually, because um, he, there was a good piece Daniel Schofield did in the Telegraph, and you were quoted in it by Mr. Marler saying that you, you taught him how to drink, but you know that's been gone <laughs> into enough. Um, but he also said it was, there was elements to it that reminded him of of old school rugby, where it's not all academy guys going out and being and don't get me wrong, they're being very careful and very responsible. But I think what he's getting at is that perhaps you lose some of that that ethos, that element that brings people together. Um, did you enjoy your time with Mr. Marler? I did, I really did. Um, I've actually been speaking to him since his comments and look, he was, I think the, the hardest thing in some of those tours is to keep everyone happy and, and obviously that we mentioned briefly the one four years ago and whenever they, that sort of geographical six were brought in and it's clear as day you know, that this was the 23 and you know, you're the rest and I felt four years ago we kind of just we huffed about it, didn't play well, lost games, and I really enjoy those last couple of games and that. So we sort of come in as a group and we said, listen, there's one or two ways this can go. We can either use this sort of almost the feelings you have towards the coaches that stage because you know you're not playing, and, and regardless how much you like a coach, you hold a little bit of resentment towards them because they haven't picked you. I said, you can use that to produce performance and enjoy the last couple of games you have because some of you might never play in this shirt again because if you don't and you play badly and we lose, we're the only ones that are going to look bad and you'll regret it for some of you for four years and some of you for the rest of your life. So that was sort of, and that was kind of the, we went back a little bit to the old school. We went back to just trying to enjoy our rugby, enjoy our training and whenever we played and played well, we said, well, look, we're not playing on the Saturday. They need us to train Thursday, so Thursday evening we'll go out for dinner and we'll have a few drinks. And we sort of tried to enjoy that last little bit like that. And it was, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. You know, once sort of almost the pressure's off at that stage because you're just going, we're here to try to perform in a jersey and we trained hard and we we played hard in, in the games we played in. But then we enjoyed the time we had with each other as well. And um, yeah, I. This is a really good bunch of lads to tour with. Who did you room with? Um, I sort of was rooming with. You had to kind of mix you up at the start. So I started off with Kyle Sinkler, which was a bit of a an experience. He's actually a great guy, but he's bonkers. He's so paranoid. It's hard to. It's hard to know how he can function as a rugby player being that paranoid. But what you mean? Is he a bit? Work. Is he a bit sort of OCD about oh. pre- preparation? Is he? Uh, not even that. He's just—he's always second guessing things. And at one stage through the tour, he was thinking that he wasn't going to get picked on an England squad. That was in November, and this was way back in when was that June? You know, so sort of you know, just that stuff's going through his head because I'm not sure. I'm not sure Eddie's going to pick me. And you're sort of there going, look, you're in the Lions. You're playing really well. Don't worry about it. But he's a really, really good guy. I enjoyed room with him, and he's actually. He's so inquisitive about the game, and he watches so much sport. And he's all—all all he wants to know is what's Paul O'Connell's hero. All he really wanted to know was what it was like um, playing um, with Paul O'Connell, what Paul O'Connell was like, and then asked you about the test matches he played in, the props he played against. So it was, it was good. He was—he was a good guy. Then the room with Alan Wynne Jones a few times, um, and like I know Alan Wynne really well and he's he's a good guy you know he's he's a bit 
he's OCD. He's a bit bonkers in his, you know, everything sold preparation. But that sort of suits me a bit because I like a tidy room. But a, a room mainly with Hendy at the end. Because once the sort of get, once those sort of six come in and kind of almost split the tour a little bit, they kind of put you in with nearly who, who you want. Um, and also within your midweek team. So I went with Hendy. And um, it was good. It was it was great. He's messy as anything, and you know he'd walk past my side of the room. Say it'd be quite neat and folded and everything where it should be, and he'd walk through, and it looked like someone has grabbed his bag, kicked it in the air. Then when all the clothes have landed everywhere, they proceeded to kick that again, <laughs> and he walked past, looked at my stuff, and goes, "Who this? Really? Probably tidy my side a bit." And I goes, "Well." It'll be handy to find things. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it now. I'm just going to lie down. I'll do it now. And he'd fall asleep for three hours in the middle of the day, wake up, and of course it would never be done. But um, the guy I've seen it win really well. Just invite Alan Wynn round for a cup of tea, and he just he'll just tidy around you. It'll be fine. He, I would say he honestly, if we had brought him into the room after his initial shock, he probably would have tidied it for him. So he would have. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, Rory did. Um, I suppose in, in that tour like there was a lot of talk like even before it that like go with the Irish front row especially you guys haven't done the job in November and stuff um, but then it looked like Jamie George was the man who was almost destined to play there like it, everybody was talking about it from early doors did, when did you get a sense that maybe you know you're going to have to stick with the, the midweek team and it, it wasn't going to work out in, t- in the test terms um, you sort of get a feeling really early and probably the front row is the easiest place to see it Um and whether it was pre-designed or whether it was just the way it happened to fall, you know, ultimately you kind of, you want to be in the same team as Tag because I think Tag was the one that was guaranteed to start nearly as long as he didn't have an, a few absolute shockers. You just knew the form and the way he was playing and just the type of player he is. And from, obviously from my own selfish point of view, I'm used to playing with him. And in those scenarios, you want to be playing in combinations with people you know um, and I think that was a frustration from uh, 13 that I never once got to play with Paulie calling a line out so obviously I would know mm. him calling and you know you could so that that was frustrating and, and obviously this time around you just got a sense early on that you always sort of whether you're right or wrong you look ahead and you second guess selections and you go well if I start this Saturday you know, everyone's going to need to get rid of a game, so you kind of don't want to be involved in that next midweek. You want to be on the bench for the following Saturday, and when you're near the bench a couple of days later, you kind of go, well, I'm not going to play this Saturday, and then I'll have to play the next midweek. So therefore, the only chance I have is to go on the bench the following Saturday. So it was sort of, you sort of read into it, and very quickly it becomes apparent. And when you look at the people that are being selected around it and the people that because there are positions that have to double up because it's not like the front rows where you just keep them as a unit and rotate them around. And when you sort of looked at that first Saturday game, you kind of looked like this looks a little bit like at, um, the test team nearly. Um, and you do get a sense very early on. Uh, and it is frustrating and it would have been nice to have played in the, at some point in the same front row with Tig and, and Jack, but at the top level but unfortunately that wasn't that wasn't to be hmm. Listen before we let you go uh, you're doing a lot of captaining this this season Yeah <laughs> Yeah um, Look it's just something that, that I enjoy doing obviously the Ireland stuff came as a 
a little bit of a surprise and you know sort of one of the ones potentially sort of touted for it a few years ago after Paulie retired but you know still when you get to after captain your country it's something that you know, just such a massive honour and, and last year I felt that it was too much to do um, to do both um, and obviously the Ireland Irish stuff took priority but then I found last year that it it was almost more frustrating not captaining. Um, and that the two boys were doing a great job, but those things that I felt I could have done differently, and, and I'm not sort of somebody that'll necessarily sit in the fence, and, and I felt like I was constantly saying, what about this, what about that? Um, but also, as much as anything, I kind of felt that Ulster needed a long-term plan to get some of the young local-born players to come through and it was something that, that I felt that I suppose is my legacy for want of a better word that that I wanted to, to help bring that through and have room with Handy in the summer a lot and sort of captain those midweek teams and the way I sort of enjoyed captain those midweek I sort of went like the Irish one is great because I enjoy it. it it does take a bit of time to settle into it and it probably took me most of that first year to not be petrified every time I was going into a camp or going into uh, a game um, and just to relax and enjoy it. And I felt I did that in the Lions because it was the second time around. And I just felt there was something that I, that I wanted to do. was sort of, I wanted, if Ulster wanted me to do it. And I know they were sort of talking about with the new coaches, we're going to change all the structures within. And I said, look, if it, I don't know if it makes it decision easier or harder, but it would be something that I would like to do. And if I was going to do it, I think it's really important that that Hendy would be named as a as one of the vice captains, or certainly as a senior player with a view to him captain a few times. But unfortunately, there's no doubt that um, he has a lot more years left than me. With him, then hopefully succeeding me, and I try to know whether he learned anything from that or from being a vice captain under me. But I sort of hoped he would, and and I hope that in a few years' time you can look back and, and see him. Certainly, Captain Ulster, and you know, you never know. He might captain beyond, and you can take a little bit of well. Hopefully, there's a small part of of the way I captain and the way he captains, and and you taught him something, and that's ultimately what I wanted to leave Ulster with. You always want to try to leave the place you've been in a slightly better place, and this was one way that I sort of suppose nearly a tangible way that I felt I could do that. And is that, Rory, is that why you're actually so keen to get back? I know you want to get back playing because you just want to get back out on the pitch as well, but you, you want to get back in, in in time for November and, and be Ireland captain again. Yeah, it is. It, it's such a, especially the home games, and obviously November is all home games, so it's it's just such a, it's such a great environment to be at the minute. Um, and even though you know you you lose players and over the years you lose players and you can't cope without him, you can't cope without him. But you're showing that if you've good academies, but as important as anything, we have good coaches, good structures, and a good sort of team ethos now that you know you can cope with the loss of of almost anyone. And I suppose I don't want to be one of the ones in November that misses out and I go, you know, we can actually get away without him. But like as much as anything, it's an environment you want to be in, it's an environment you want to train in, and. It's an environment that you want to play in, and you want to put yourself against the best teams in the world, because you're as prepared as anyone else in international rugby. So it's just about going out and executing and, and showing that as players that we're some of the best about. Right, Rory. Listen, thanks very much for your time. We'll let you go there. 
No problem. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Good luck. Well, Mr. Best, he is doing a lot of captaining. He seems to be enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. What was it? Um, and that was it. Apparently, he, at the start of the season, it was just like he he had that discussion, and it was like, I think I can do both. I want to do both. Mm. But there is that thing of uh, wanting to bring Henderson through, and and that was his first game captain, wasn't it? Against against Wasp the other night, he said yeah. since junior is junior rugby days, but he, he did a pretty decent job. Yeah, not so bad. But you can also <laughs> see the the passion that Rory has for it, you know, and mm. like even in talking about a legacy and his future planning. It's an interesting and word to use, isn't it? Yeah, it, yeah, it is. Yeah, and I, I guess I was, <coughs> I was thinking when he was talking there as well about rooming with Hendy, and how Hendy's obviously going to pick up some, some, uh, some good traits off him in terms of what, how he wants to captain and how he wants to bring on this team. And but yeah, to use the word legacy, I thought it was quite uh, king of the north is grooming his, his <laughs> prince to take over when he. Yeah, he can sit back and go, ah, that was me. <laughs> but, <laughs> exactly. But look how bad, like you know, it's uh, he's so experienced, um, as I say, so well respected and. Uh, his knowledge and even when he's not captaining he's he's saying that I would have done things differently he's thinking mm. constantly as a captain and I know you spoke about captaining beforehand on a different show And but it is for me a, a specific yeah. like I could never be a captain because it just t- takes away from everything that I'm trying to do I'm trying to focus and some people are just natural I think and mm. you can see from his mindset that he's always constantly thinking about challenging a ref or challenging situations and yeah. what seems would he do differently he seems to wear it likely enough um, but it, it, it is fascinating to hear that. So the, the Irish captain is, is still the exact same as every other player because actually I kind of don't want to give up that position because if that guy does well mm. that might reflect on me you know yeah yeah and some people say oh, I want to focus on my before like towards your latter stages of your career you yeah. may want to say well look I don't want a captain because I want to focus on keeping my place there. But actually, he's extremely driven that it's like, actually, I don't want to give an inch to anything, really, you know. Yeah, this is good. Yeah, absolutely. So, November Internationals, uh, we have, we're going to have, we're going to have discussions around centres. Definitely. Like Henshaw, Robbie Henshaw moving out to 13, um, which, you know, he's played there a lot in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he had an absolute barnstormer against Montpellier and that has got a lot of people talking. And if you think about the We've got the Bundy key, that's the big timer. We'll see what happens there. Uh, Mr. Scannell down in Munster. Um, Jared Payne is still out, mm-hmm. but that was your 13. Yeah. Uh, and Gary Ringrose. Yes. So, like, there's, it's a great problem to have long term for Joe Schmidt. But right now, when Jimmy, when you're watching a, a centre display like that, what are you seeing? Well, firstly, I think you have to look at if you're taking Robbie's performance at the weekend, you have to understand that Robbie's like played a hell of a lot of rugby at 13 and he's played a hell of a lot of rugby at, at 15. And a lot of people, myself included, thought that some of his um, some of his extra traits that I think he can use rather than been used as a bludgeoning centre carrying um, were wasted a little bit at 12 mm. and just to move out and he has that skill set um, where he can bring like he's very soft hands as well you know he's um, quite an intelligent player as well from being in the backfield but look to have, like, the way he played at the weekend it's a quite an option to have there at 13 and obviously there's a question mark obviously Gary's out so someone's got to step up now and 
it looks to be him at the moment to be honest you know there's Jared's out um, he's out for the foreseeable future still I think yeah, they, they mentioned yeah so and then um, when's but I'm not sure what, when Bundy's available is he available from he's November good to go yeah, yeah. yeah. okay so that's going to be an interesting like yeah. do you know it's as you say it's not a bad problem to have but for me like I'd have 100% have Robbie in there what combination um, like could you play so if, if we assume that you're going to use one of the big games at least one of the big games to, to have Aki there um, at 12 do you is, do we assume that it's definitely Hanshaw at 13 because he has to be in there that's your starting combo and then you work around that yes I think so because you listen to how Rory spoke there about combinations and what you're used to and he never had that chance to throw with uh, Paulie or you know and be in the front row with people you know it's actually extremely comfortable co- comforting and even for not just for Robbie but for Bundy that would be the case of I'm used to playing with this fella I yeah. know what he does rather than going right I've played with this guy for a week or two weeks or whatever camp they've had and actually you have to know the intricacies of what people do and small little things and uh, what line they run and it's actually quite hard to get used to and it's not going to come over two or three weeks so I reckon if um, personally that if it's going to be the two of them it will be one of the earlier games just to get used to it but if they if they do pick Bundy it'll be with Robbie I think hmm. yeah well that's it like it, all of a sudden like if you were to play Henshaw uh, at 12 then there's only maybe Farrell or down at Munster or maybe Luke Marshall or something but yeah. then switching him to 13 uh, all of a sudden opens up a whole new world of options as well and like it seems like Ringrose if he comes back it might not be maybe till maybe a Fiji game even like in the middle of November like so um, yeah because that was it like, I, and Henshaw was brilliant at the weekend because it was even um, just the way he delayed his pass to Carberry for Barry Daly's try is just it's, he's got that awareness of how to draw guys in as well and then he had that just that big moment where I know he got bounced initially in that tackle but um, the way he just held on to the ankles of Nadolo got up turned over Pinar and, and that's what he told us all after the game that he sensed that Leinster were getting a bit flat and they needed a big moment so he yeah. that's almost what a leader does like you know steps up and makes a play so right now Ulster fans are getting very annoyed because we haven't mentioned Stuart McCluskey mm-hmm. I, well I have him there and I'm, I'm actually quite a fan of him um, I think he brings something I'm shocked that you'd be yeah. a fan of him a big <laughs> centre yeah 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 of course uh, but no I think he brings something different you know that like uh, if you've got Rory Scannell more of a distributing 12 um, you know I think McCluskey brings a bit of directness if you want to have a ball player 13 mm. I think the balance there as I like centres to be a balance of, there would be more of a Gary Ringrose player a bit of a silkier player outside him so and also you can have your wingers feeding off um, McCluskey the way he's been playing as well he's he gets his offloads away which like as a winger if you know you're, someone's carrying in and or even as a centre you know that he's going to get hands free there's always a chance and mm. yeah. all it is is once we're in behind then it's about reading what's in front but I think um, to have that danger even as a decoy to create some space for other people I think he's uh, an underused um, asset that we have Do all wingers um, run those support lines in the same way or are some much better than others? Um, some better than others um, but also if a winger knows um, that they're going to get <laughs> there's a chance of getting a break or having a run they'll run they'll they'll be sniffing like yeah. I think even if we're looking recently I think Stockdale's yeah, performance at the weekend just for hunger for work rate for like you know he's and he's a big lad you know but he's he's there and he's hungry and he's working hard and mm. And, and he's sniffing and he's in the right place um, for when the opportunities are there and he's taking them so. like the lines that um, Chris Ashton runs for example and has always run I mean they're phenomenal 
in that support play he's always expecting that ball and he's always right just behind the shoulder of the carrier yeah and like I remember in training sometimes and you have like a break's gone up the left saying Ashley's in the right wing and Ashley's running past you and you're going where's he off to but he's that's his rugby league background that he always said I'd st- uh, Sean Edwards always say stay in the centre of the post because invariably the ball always comes back to the middle of the pitch hmm. and even if it goes left or right always comes back to the middle so sometime the ball will tap in there and he's there and I know a lot of players look at the lines that Chris run and I know some of the Munster lads would always go oh what did he do and how does he do it and it's just a phenomenal work rate to, yeah. to sniff off that and like to have that engine to be able to do that and look if you're if, if you're not moving you can stay in your wing and if you stay in the wing the ball's not going to come to you as much but if you're working you're going to look a lot better as well yeah um, we're going to change tack slightly here uh, there was a, an interesting job ad that came out this week from the mm. IRFU Pat yeah the um, yeah it came out just uh, it was a Tuesday just kind of looking for um, basically just two months going since the Women's World Cup and they were always talking about that there'd be a plan in place to bring someone else in and and then the job just this, came this out. There's someone to replace Tom Tierney. Tom Tierney, yeah. Um, and then to work under Anthony Eddy, who kind of is the um, looking after the sevens and, and the women's game. But uh, so that was it. Came out and it was just looking for part time uh, someone to work on a part time basis or a casual basis for six months to look after the Ireland women's team, um, which are basically just because it doesn't look like there's going to be any November games, so it just encompasses the Six Nations. So, um, so yeah, after two months, you know of putting something together maybe it looks like all they put together is this job spec because uh, um, that's it that's all they come up with and then you know nothing else to kind of really accompany it no kind of interviews or kind of comments or anything like that um, and it was just put out there for everybody to see and, and a lot of the, the women's players weren't happy about it at all and um, it just kind of shows this kind of lack of you know forward planning or any real commitment to the, the seven or the, the women's game and um yeah, you could just see a lot of them are unhappy about it, and there was a few stories that gradually started coming out in the day day or two after the the job vacancy was posted. And um, you know, when you have the likes of uh, Alison Miller sharing kind of comments from the Welsh coach saying how prepared they are for the Six Nations, you have Jenny Murphy saying it's you know to kick in the teeth um, for all the preparations they've done, and uh, Ruth O'Reilly who spoke to Gavin Comsky in the Times before coming out and giving out about the Blazers again. It's uh, they're just they were unhappy before the World Cup they were unhappy during the World Cup and it's all coming to a boiling point now hmm. yeah no I think look it's it's one of these situations where it's I haven't seen a stance from the RFU on like they haven't said anything I think they've kind of kept quiet on things and um, you look at the investment that they've put into Sevens and you kind of see right we're going to focus on this more so like it, yeah. you know and that's and for for people representing their country this is obviously not when you see what the other nations are doing as mm-hmm. you rightly mentioned but also they've inv- like for the World Cup was here like a few months ago and, and yet they've invested all this marketing into it and all of a sudden right that's all done and dusted now let's let's just move on and we'll park that and we'll focus on sevens and thanks thanks girls but yeah we're like yeah. we've we've bigger fish to fry as such which is quite disrespectful i think yeah well they're not sort of england also been well not been but you know what i mean they they didn't renew contract they're concentrating on sevens as well because yeah. that that cyclical nature in the in, in the women's game um which don't get me wrong it's just there's a, there's a, a huge crossover in playing pool as well uh but in in fairness to the IRFU if you took out the first line of that ad and in particular the phrase part-time casual 
do, does this read differently? Because then you say, well, actually, they got very few games and you just want you want someone in on a trial basis, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I'm just it, there, there might be another perspective on this that, it, that it, the PR side of this has been handled really badly. But is there something else there that if we stepped back, we might be able to understand it a bit better? I think uh, from my point of view, I think you've hit the nail on the head a bit there in terms of part time casual. You don't want to see that, to be honest. You know, it's not. I want to see uh, I want to see full time committed to final yeah, player. No, <laughs> yeah, no, and I understand completely. But that doesn't need, nothing needs to be mentioned in the interview process. You can chat about that. But I'd like to also I'm, I'm sure something will come out from the RFU in terms of their standpoint of what they're looking at. Yeah. Uh, when you do break it down, you actually say. It's on, it's Six Nations games, yeah, and then as opposed to we've November, we've a summer tour, correct? Uh, we've, we, we've no November games, yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, Even that's an issue, though. Why, why are there no November games again? Why aren't they kicking on from the World Cup? Why aren't they trying to improve again? Because they have no coach, because they've no real plan at the moment, and so that's a mess again. Like so, the girls, um, a lot of them put their lives on hold for this kind of stuff, and just to be kind of told again that um, all right, sure, we'll get together back in January and see what the crack is. Like it is you know, now going to be a. Uh, probably it might have been already um, after the World Cup but it's going to be a difficult environment for the new coach to come into mm. I mean that's a lot of um, a lot of upheaval a lot of strife uh, the World Cup would have been just at a human level if nothing else a difficult thing for that squad to come through and there's been about a lot of publicity around it mm. so whoever does come in whether part time or uh, on a longer basis they're going to have a big job on that side of the pitch, which is away from anything to do with tactics, strategy, coaching. It's just human management. Yeah, it's, uh, but man management there is going to be absolutely crucial. Yeah. Um, keeping players happy is going to be absolutely crucial because if there's one small part of discontent within the camp, it'll spread like wildfire. And um, I think it has to be an extremely firm coach who comes in and goes this is what's happening this is the way I'm doing it also very positive in what they're doing we want to actually achieve something and, and push it forward and actually drive the game forward um, I think that's what they'd like to see hmm. Well uh, hopefully, we can, hopefully we, can see, we can see this move on in a, in a positive way somewhere but right now there's a lot of, a lot of uncertainty um, Okay James will be back later to answer your Twitter questions but up next we talk to former Munster and Ireland back row Dennis Leamy The Hard Yards Passionate About Sport Welcome back to the Hard Yards. We have a hero of Thoman Park on the line. Uh, you're very welcome to the Hard Yards, Dennis Leamy. Thank you very much, guys. Cheers. Good to be on. We're actually just talking. We had trouble ringing the landline. You got a bit of a, uh, a shellacking from the storm, did you? Yeah, we got hit pretty hard around here, so um, we're just still recovering, getting power back and uh, dealing with trees and, and stuff down around the place. So it'll take a couple of days to get it all sorted. But, well, the clean-up is on the way anyway. Yeah, so is that... Um, where, where's home now? I live in Cashel in County Tipperary, back where I was uh, born and reared on a, on a beef farm um, during the 80s. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm back home now and enjoying it and uh, a different uh, different life completely to what I was used to a couple of years ago. Yeah. So that's going back to, so we'll go back to 2012, right? So you're 30 years old. Um, you have a hip injury. You've signed a two-year contract extension, um, but you don't get back from that hip injury. Um, did it take you a long time to come to terms with it? Yeah, I suppose like in, in some ways, um, you know, I'm still coming to terms with it, you know, because I suppose you you grew up with all these, you know, hopes and dreams of, of being a professional rugby player, and um, 
playing for Ireland and stuff like that. And when that comes through, and uh, you kind of laid out a, a, a map for till your you know mid thirties, and suddenly all of a all of a all of a shot like you're sitting in front of a surgeon and he's telling you it's the end of the road, you know, um, a little bit earlier than you'd hoped. It is it is a shock and it, it takes a long time to digest. You know, and unfortunately for me, I've kind of had to deal with um, with a hip replacement a couple of a year after that as well, and that's kind of dealing with the pain physically and dealing with the pain emotionally. Uh, it took it took a while, and uh, you know, but look, you you move on, and I've been very lucky in many ways as well. How is the hip now? Hip is quite good. It, it limits me in terms of what I can do. That's the biggest problem in that. Um, I suppose I can't really go out and play rugby anymore. It's obviously one, but. You know, even even playing a bit of indoor soccer or stuff like that on an astro or, or, or playing on an astro turf or anything like that, it's just you don't want to get hit wrong or move wrong and, and cause a, a dislocation or something like that. So I'm pretty limited in what I do physically. So, and um, from that point of view, it's it's difficult because you go from being very very active to doing um, very little, and that uh, that's hard to get your head around. But look, I do a lot of walking. I'm involved in in coaching and stuff like that, so I do get out and about, and, and that's a help. Do you enjoy the coaching? Yeah, I do enjoy coaching. Yeah, I do. I, I work in Rockwell College and I work with my local club, Cashel. And um, no, I really enjoy that. It, it's good. It's good for the body. It's good for the head. Um, really enjoy working with young players. Um, you know, and you get you get you get a great uh, kick out of seeing them progress, uh, seeing them learn. You know, and um, if you if you win a little bit of silverware on the on the on the way, it's a great addition too. You know. Hmm. Is it something you'd see yourself doing professionally? Um, it's difficult to say. I mean, there's a couple of things in that. I'm not sure I'm good enough to be a professional coach. Um, you know, whether whether I'd want to uproot my my family and and you know go across the water like Raj and and Mike Prendergast and a couple of these guys. Mm. That seems to be the most viable route for a, for a coach in Ireland at the moment is to actually go across the water prove yourself and maybe hope to come back um, if there are the structures within the country um, it's kind of hard to see how clear they are you know to the top so it's a, it is a difficult one I, I think if someone walked in in the morning from once to rugby and said look we'd like to bring you back in a, on a, in a coaching role in some description I find it very hard to say um, to say no but I really um, I wouldn't be holding my breath to be honest You were, you were involved in, in the, with the underage monster side weren't you for a while Dennis? Yeah yeah, I did a little bit when I came out of uh, out of coaching really because I wasn't sure what I was going to do you know the, the suddenness of the, the retirement um, kind of cut me short a little bit and um, I wasn't exactly sure what, how I was going to spend my time so I was I was just asked I was actually doing a strength and conditioning course in um with the IRFU at the time and Satanta, I was just asked to go in to do a little bit of strength and conditioning with uh, the Munster under 20s at the time and I ended up actually doing a little bit more than I was expected to do and um, I went was with different Munster underage teams over the last couple of years as well Hmm It was Mike Prendergast to give me a hand getting into it as well so looking back I was yeah, reading through old pieces and he, he seemed like he was a good help to you when you did have that early retirement yeah, he was very good to me. I look, he was always a guy that I got on very well with when we played together. And um, look, I, I suppose I kind of was sitting down um, watching the World. I think it was the World Cup at the time. I can't remember one of the one of the competitions, uh, the soccer competitions. Maybe it was the Euros, and I just got a shock. And I think, what am I going to do now? And um, 
I suppose the most natural thing was to, to see if there was a, a coaching gig out there. So I was talking to Mikey a couple of days later and um, he said, look, come on in to Mikey some monsters. He's co- he was coaching there a couple of years. And I just I just went in really uh, twice a week just to be around the place, just to watch him, just to give a bit of feedback myself. And um, it was a huge learning curve. It was really, really interesting how different it is uh, being, being a coach, being a part of the management compared to being a player. What what struck you immediately about that difference? Now, obviously, you're looking after the whole group. Um, you know, I think as a player, you, you're very selfish. You're very much looking at your own your own performance, your own diet, your own sleep. Everything is about you. It's about getting yourself right, um, and it's about putting in a performance within the within the collective group, of course. But from a management point of view, um, you're trying to look after, you know. Obviously, the the on pitch stuff. Then you're dealing with the off stuff, off pitch stuff. You know, at amateur level, you're dealing with guys who, have, you know, normal lives. They've got they've got work, they've got families, they've got college, and you're trying to you're plumb guys a lot of the time. You're trying to be, you know, see their side of the story a lot of the time when they can't make training, when when they, you know, when when the baby's sick or something like that. You're just trying to you know make everything work and you know I, I learned an awful lot from Mikey from that point of view um, because I wasn't really aware of that being in a professional environment I thought just players turn up and you know they're ready to train and you have your kit man there it's not like that obviously in the amateur uh, and at, at, at amateur grassroots level and um, just to see Mikey in action and how he interacted with the players how he did favours for them how he got them work how he got them off them work how he just built um you know the whole uh, rugby aspect uh, into their lives was very very impressive so you getting to know the players and their individual circumstance is that is that something you'd see essential to being a good coach at at the sort of the the non-professional level yeah i think it's i think it's very very important you know i think um it's probably it's probably it's probably the most important thing in many ways um, is getting the players there, uh, wanting to be there to enjoy it, and just trying to get um, the best out of them. Because um, you know, it, it, you know, they've got some, they've got an awful lot going on, and uh, trying to trying to get um, them to put in a performance and stuff like that when they've got, I suppose. The weight of of other things on their shoulders uh, sometimes can be difficult. So it's important you get to know the players. It's important to understand where they're coming from, if there's issues within their lives and stuff like that, and try to, to help them as much as possible. I'm not look. I'm not sure it always works, but I think you have to be seen to be doing it. Uh, Dennis, from from talking to Rog in the past, he, he kind of speaks to you with a real high regard. But he's kind of saying that um, when it came to talking in the dressing room, you didn't do it much, but when you did it, it would. Just you know, the impression would last for a month or so. Um, do you ever kind of remember like those moments where you just kind of said, listen, I have to step up and say something here or you're just compelled to, to speak out on an issue? <laughs> um, yeah, like, I suppose there's, there's a couple of things in that. Um, I, I was very lucky to play with a dressing room that was full of, uh, full of leaders um, and, and really, I think, I suppose, my um, opinion... I felt that a lot of the time was was much further down the pecking line than the likes like Raj and, and, and Paul and you know Axel and Gary Fannery, Donna Calcutta and all these great players who who really had um, 
when they spoke were very very articulate and, and extremely um, good at getting their point across so I, I suppose speaking in dressing rooms wasn't something that I felt I was very very good at I suppose when I did speak it was often brought on by frustration or passion or something like that so I would imagine that um, at times when I did speak it was it was uh, it was pretty flustered and uh, emotional as I say but um, look it's, it's good that Raj felt that that I spent, I, I spoke some sort of sense anyway. But um, look, I, I wouldn't have been a big speaker in the monster dressing room. That's a, anyway. Um, there was just there was just so many guys there who were, who were much better at it than I was anyway. So you you can't get away with being a silent coach though. So you've had to get used to speaking in dressing rooms now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, and that's something that's probably that I, that I probably haven't have had to improve on and. Um, to be quite honest, speaking in front of more than two or three people wouldn't be my strong point anyway. So it it really has it really has forced me to develop that side of things, and I think it's it's something that that you know I have improved on, and I'm better at getting my point across. I probably don't be as emotional, and um, you know I try to I try to paint a better picture in front of players, definitely. So it's something I'm working on, and and I think I am improving it. Yeah. The um, life then away from rugby. Um, you're from a farming background, and it's something which, uh, which you know, I think you said when you retired, you'd like to do something there. You'd like to stay doing farming, making it work. Um, how's that going for you? Yeah, it's great. No, I find, I find the farm brilliant. Um, I work with my with my dad um, and uh, and my aunt uh, as as a, as a share as well in, in the farm. We farm about three hundred and twenty acres. Um, a beef farm so yeah look it's, it's great I find it brilliant for, for getting up out of bed and just having a task you know as a professional rugby player your days and your weeks are laid out in front of you and you know everything is, is done by an itinerary you're told to be in a certain place you're told to eat a certain thing um, you know it, it's really really an easy life and then suddenly when it's taken away you're looking to replace that you know you'll never replace it but you're looking to replace it in, in some format I found the farm brilliant for that I know that you know I'm up at half seven eight o'clock whatever it may be I'm out of bed I'm I'm heading out, I'm heading out to Ballyherbury for the breakfast then we're on we've got the jobs to do going doing the rounds looking at cattle if there's something wrong you know your your your, your plans change if there's a sick animal or there's fencing to be done or something like that but I just find it brilliant um, for my head as, as much as anything you know it's probably not great for my pocket but it's certainly brilliant for, for you know body and mind So you're a man who likes structure uh, Do I like structure? Probably yeah. yeah it's probably fair to say that, that I, I found it has helped because I, I suppose I don't know anything really else from, from when I was 16 or 17 it was kind of you know, when, once once I went into the Irish Academy and on into the Munster teams, it was really laid out for you. Your holidays are laid out, you know, mm. your pre-seasons laid out, then you're into pre-season games and, and you're on into competition and, you know, Autumn Internationals, Six Nations. So it's a very, it's, it's very patterned from that point of view. Well, it was a decent pattern. I was at 57 caps, a couple of Heineken Cups, a Grand Slam. Um, you, had a, you had a decent run, Dennis. Yeah, uh, look, I suppose... I don't know what you put it down to. Uh, I was, I was, I was, I was very lucky. I, I kind of, you know, I would say to people, I was lucky that I arrived at a t- at a time when Irish rugby was strong uh, and was getting strong and and continued to to get stronger after I left. Um, and I played with very, very good, very, very good players. 
Um, there's no doubt about it on, on very good teams. Um, look, the likes of the likes of Brian, and it's, it's probably unfair to, to, to single out guys, but the likes of Brian O'Driscoll probably is is one in a generation player. And um, to be on the same pitch as him would inspire anyone to, to be as good as they possibly can. You know that kind of way. So, look, I, I think I was very lucky to, to play with a with a brilliant group uh, with special players among it, and it, it certainly brought the best out of the likes of me as well. You know, right. Listen, that's good stuff. Thank you very much, Dennis Leamy. Uh, we'll let you go. And we have fan questions and tips for this weekend's rugby coming up. Murder, she wrote, is the perfect thing to watch during the day. You can watch the start, fall off for 40 minutes, come back, see the end, perfect. You know what I mean? You've missed nothing, really. Remember, Rod Kev in the Kalina used to have to bring two TVs into the room, one for you for Cheltenham. <laughs> like every red-blooded male in the country, he'd be watching the horse racing, whereas I'd have a TV for myself for things like Murder, She Wrote and Houses Under the Hammer. Murder, She Wrote is the perfect thing to watch during the day. You're listening to the Hard Yards Rugby Podcast on Sports Show. We're going to look ahead some of the games for the Irish teams this weekend in the Champions Cup. Uh, Pat, um, yeah, there's no there's no apology. So to bring it behind <laughs> the curtains, right, there was, there was a dispute after we finished recording last week because it was alleged that perhaps the score was wrong. But I went back and listened to the last two weeks. So the bad news and good news. The bad news is, yes. no, there was nothing wrong with the score. The good news is that you won last week 2-0 yeah I thought I was going to get a point back and then 2-0 as well but yeah. um, I'll, I'll, I'll take the good news I'll just yeah, I'll you, focus on the good news you called last week pretty well uh, Glasgow Leinster Glasgow are one point favourite at home yeah it's interesting looking at it all um, at all this week uh, I suppose I'll kick off I'll go first with this one um, if, if calling a prediction I'd say I'm going to go Glasgow because they have to win already almost like them because they lost last week and and just what they did to Munster in the, the the Pro 14 and depends who Leinster kind of get back but I still think Glasgow are going to edge it but Leinster probably got a losing bonus point so I'll go with Glasgow on that one Yeah so this, this game for me hinges on whether you think Leinster were really good or Montpellier were actually really really bad Yeah um, I'm going to go with Leinster um, so I'll go I'll go against you on that one uh, <laughs> Munster Racing Munster are 10 point favourites at home um, there's going to be a lot of emotion around this game Mm. Yeah. Um, again, yeah, Rasting who the team and the, the again the Anthony Foley documentary, which I suppose I should mention, that was absolutely brilliant. It was and excellent, a fair yeah. play for um, again with the, the the storm issues. People, you know, had didn't have power in that part of the country as well. So, are you going to show it again? Which is great. Yeah, and um, so yeah, I suppose it, it just brings it all up again, doesn't it? All the talk of the of that week and the fact that Rasting are back over again and. And it's been a t- tough week for Munster in terms of like copping the brunt of that storm as well, and mm. um, uh, you know, so you know they'll they'll probably kind of uh, yeah they'll be they'll be up for the game. But I think I've been thinking a bit about this game because I'm heading down to it now um, on Saturday, and I think it's it's a different racing team I think this year than the side that came over last year, and um, it looks like they even might have had a few guys that they're gonna stick out for this game. And yeah, are you gonna take racing on me? Are you? Yes, um, but I still I think Munster might win it. But to give them plus like you know minus ten like yeah. is kind of very generous. So that's what makes me go. It's going to be a tighter game this time. So yeah, they might edge it, but Rassing for me. I'm the, <coughs> I'm the same, and I'd almost put a cheeky five round Rassing for this one to yeah. actually win it. Yes, yeah, so um, I don't think ten points is accurate at all in that. 
Um, last one, La Rochelle are eight point favourites um, at Hope to Ulster. Mm. And, and this is the, the um, something Raj mentioned to us last week that it had been 16, 16 months since they last lost a home game in, in the top 14 and you know this is their first Champions Cup season but they looked decent last week against Harlequins and yeah just it apparently it seemed like an incredible atmosphere up there but at the same time I'm going to go with Ulster in that one just not to win it but um, to get close to finish inside yeah. there yeah, yeah well I'll be taking the La Rochelle side of that uh, just one. It is interesting to note, right? So Toulon are eighteen point favourites at Treviso, right? Yeah, yeah. But in past years, that might have been twenty eight. Yeah. You know, I mean, the the Italian team's performance they w- they surprised people with how well they played in Bath. I know they didn't score a point, but in previous years, you could have had Premiership observers saying they're going to put fifty, sixty points on them. And in contrast, Saracens are twenty four point favourites against Ospreys. <laughs> so that's yeah. what we're dealing with here. It's, it's a major swing. Like, obviously, Ospreys are poor. Saracens are unreal, aren't they? This yeah. Um, and so before we wind this one, um, well done, Krasny Yar, who beats yes. Stade Francais. Incredible. Uh, with Vasily Artemiev, the old the ex-Blockrack uh, mm. schoolboy, their captain. Um, that really does need an, an odd. It's their first ever game in the Challenge Cup and they've beaten the holders 34-29. That is amazing. Good luck, Edinburgh, this week going to Moscow. <laughs> uh, OK, we'll see how the weekend unfolds. Uh, up next, we've listener questions with James. The Hard Yards, passionate about sport. James is back to answer your fan questions. We put a call out on Twitter and these were the best ones we got in. Use the hashtag AskTHY on Twitter if you want to ask a question next week. First one, uh, this is from Sean Townsend. Will we see Sweetnam, Stockdale or Conway feature in the November International Series as they could be dark horse players for the Rugby World Cup? Um... Dark Horse mightn't be the right one for Stockdale at the moment, but, you know, he's still a, a very young in career terms. Yeah, I was just about to pull up on that. I would have said Dark Horses, I don't think so. I think everyone's very well aware of um, not just Jacob's ability, but um, Andrew's and, and Darren's as well. Uh, it's just, I, I think, I, I do see Stockdale as, as pushing to be a starter. I think it's a great mm. time to be a winger. Um, what do you mean by that? <sighs> Just what the players we're using at the moment. <laughs> yeah. so, no, to be honest, like I think um, the way we're playing, the way Joe seems to be evolving the game, um, and the wingers having to actually come in and work, and the way Joe has uh, his players so disciplined in terms of lads have to come in and look for the ball. Mm. Uh, otherwise, as I spoke before, about you're not going to get the ball, and I think it suits um, the way that these young lads have. But even the the hunger that they have, you see it. I saw when Andrew Conway came on for Sweetenham at the weekend, just the injection of pace and everything he brought into the game, you know, and mm. he was keen and he was mustered, and that's what you want from everyone. And like you're talking about Earlsy, Earlsy had a, had a had a great game there a couple of weeks ago as well. In mm. terms of like he's back in the mix again, and yet he's he's still an international line winger mm. and not many people talk about him Stockdale's getting a serious apprenticeship with Piotow up there like Piotow's he's leaving he's going to Bristol big money contract but if he if he continues this tutelage <laughs> uh, it's a hell of a thing to have oh, yeah you just see he follows him doesn't he like he just yeah. almost just as because he, he knows what's coming from Piotow like so even for his try, like it was just kind of stay close to him, and then he set up McCloskey's one because it was just, and he bowled it after him like that just to get there and support. 
Of course, Piatio gets the offload away and then he just he throws almost a Hail Mary and it finds McCloskey. But um, yeah, he just knows, just stick close to this guy and something will happen, which is almost what we talked of this Ashton, this instinct of where to be at the right time in the right place. Exactly. And it's the combinations of actually knowing that, right, I know Charles is going to get hands free. I know Stewart's going to get hands free and you actually stick with him. And But he has to work to get there as mm. well and you yeah. have to be quick enough to keep <laughs> up as well. Yeah. And, and like... You can't overrun things, and like you have to. Like I was lucky enough to play with Charles last year, and unbelievable feats. But you have to sit back and kind of let him do it because God knows which way he's going to go. You know, mm. um, you can't go anticipate. Oh, he's going to step off his left the whole time. He can go off both, so mm. you kind of have to trail behind. And it's look, I, he's reaping the benefits now. And if you can bring that form into November, absolutely. And I think each one of them has their own merits. I think Darren's had a bit of an injury. Um, He's only back from it. Hmm. So um, he's rated very highly. I don't know if he's going to get enough game time before that, but it's an interesting selection to put him in ahead of Andy, uh, ahead of Conway. So um, I'd, and Conway, they've all been involved in squads, and I know that Joe calls up everyone for squads, but um, Six Nations, Andy was in, and look, there's an awful lot of wingers there, and I think. Uh, we haven't mentioned Adam Byrne even in, in Leinster. And Adam Byrne's an interesting case. Um, and so he's getting a lot of, of, of column inches of media play about the, the defensive side. He obviously gives a huge amount in attack and the, the aerial game that Leinster are playing at the moment just, just kicks right and left. He's, he's extraordinary ability and body control in the air. There's one catch he took over Peter Mahoney um, in the Munster game and it was like an NFL wide receiver <laughs> to keep his feet in when he landed and get the ball back in was extraordinary um, but he does seem to take a weirdly wrong first step sometimes in defence yeah no that's a fair point um, again we have to look at this as like he's got so much potential and you can't you can't shackle that you can't shackle what he brings to the squad and that enthusiasm and youthful exuberance and all these cliches and words you can use for him but defensively he just has to stay switched on and I think maybe if that's the issue for, for Joe and Joe will pick up on certain small things I'm sure so um, I mean, Is that a case where a coach who has a reputation for, for detail like Schmidt is that something where he can come in and actually see something that can be fixed of course absolutely be it his uh, his positioning be it um, he's taken the wrong first step be it he's given an outside show like it's one step to his right or his, keeping his eyes up a little bit for that extra second will create that um, that positive attitude it, within his own mind that he'll actually be able to do it and once he is able to do it then he'll be fine you know and I see it not so much as a Christian Wade from the weekend. Christian Wade going forward is one of the best finishers mm. in Europe. That, and that's a comparison I've talked to someone about as well. Like it, it is that if you're selecting a Christian Wade or if you're selecting someone like right now Adam Byrne, you are going to get stuff in the credit side and stuff in the debit mm-hmm. side, and you as a coach are going to le- have to live with that. And that's the decision you have. That's, that's why they get paid the money to make those decisions, and we can talk about it, you know. And um, but if, but for someone so young, I think Christian's at a different level in his career. For someone so young, it's cer- certainly something that can be worked on and can be improved considerably. With with Burn, yeah. Okay, uh, we'll quickly run through one more question. This is from Brian Hughes. Uh, given Wales, South Africa, and Australia issues with keeping players, does the Irish model of welfare, central contracts, etc., deserve more credit? Well, I think that we've given it lots of credit on the <laughs> programme before. Uh, the Australians, they've obviously got their the, the Gito Law 
uh, <laughs> and now Wales have sort of ditched Gatlin's law to have an actual law uh-huh. and they've gone on a very similar path it looks like yeah they had one direction last year and they've rejigged it again um, and now it's um, basically if you've played if you've made over 60 caps for Wales now you can head off and and play in another and country and this is a week after Reese Webb signs for the um, <laughs> what had been the undisclosed French club which is Toulon it's, and it's, he's snookered yeah oh well it's jumpers for goalposts isn't it like we're <laughs> we're manipulating the playing field out here and saying actually no we'll do this but look if that's what they have to do like Adam Ashley Cooper he, he did it as well and yeah. I, I, I don't know Jamie Roberts is obviously he's over 60, be over 60 Dan yeah. Bigger's over 60 I think it's after if he plays it's November is yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so I barring an injury like, Falatow's probably 60 as well I'd say like he's he's been around for since 2010 like so he's grand so all of a sudden they've covered all the big boys but yeah Webb is screwed like so apparently yes. he, and in fairness from the Toulon point of view if you didn't have that law on the table and you know you're sort of going well I'm paying you to play over here anyway. Yeah. So if his contract was negotiated on the basis of, listen, pal, you're playing club rugby. It's top 14 and Champions Cup all the way for you. Say goodbye to your Welsh jersey for a little while and you'll go back a richer man. If that was the basis, then you can kind of see Toulon being a bit peed off as well. Absolutely, completely, because as you say, he's not going to be cheap. He's going to cost him an arm and a leg over there. Um, and you saw it with Lee Halfpenny how they got very annoyed with that situation yeah. so I'm sure he's gone into it with his eyes open saying well look if you're coming over here we're going to pay you and probably compensate you for actually missing Wales but you're probably going to have to say goodbye to your, your career because if you're gone for November you're gone for Six Nations and like that's a hell of a long time to be missing a key yeah. player and, and I know teams struggle and get very frustrated with it even at premiership level or any level so the French and the French certainly do not care you're not looked after whatsoever you're a piece of meat re- yeah they've know. got big issues now I know the um, the Pacific uh, players have big issues and their representatives and people interested in that area have issues with players being told it's not written into the contract but listen listen pal you're not playing international rugby mm. that's not what we're paying you for if you do that out but it's to be fair to the clubs as well to be fair to the clubs it's set out in stone from day one normally um, yeah. um, and if you have a proper agent who will tell you that that look this is the situation you understand what you're giving up and okay you're thinking financially perhaps and you're not seeing the wood for the trees because you're coming into November you go actually I want to be involved but you're not and it can be very frustrating for a player but yeah, look, well, well, well done to um, to Welsh rugby. Uh, you've managed to create a situation where I think everyone is annoyed, um, <laughs> except Garrett Davies. He'll be laughing. Yeah, I'll give some advice. Um, start blaming the Irish again, and you'll have everyone on side over in Wales, and then everything will be fine. <laughs> right. Uh, we will leave the show there, I think. Um, so for for next week, if you want to ask a question, use the hashtag AskTHY on Twitter and we will put it to our panel that day. Uh, one last thing, the Maxall Irish University Rugby Union, the IURU Festival of Rugby, will be taking place on Wednesday and Saturday. The K Bowen Cup for Women's University Rugby is taking place at Barnhill Rugby Club in Leakslip at 11.30am on Wednesday, while the Men's Conroy Cup and Mon Scally Cup is taking place on midday Saturday at Ternure or FC. So, that's it for this week. Thanks to James, Rory Best, Dennis Leamy and Pat. Alan Lachnan for producing and Paul Donningham was on sound. We'll be back next Thursday with a new podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes, Podcast Republic, SoundCloud and every good podcast app to get us straight to your phone. This has been The Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week. The Hard Yards. Passionate about sport. It's gone to the short side. Oh, it's not gone to the short side. It's gone to the trailer.
don't think we met before, but I'm the referee on this field, not you. Hi, Rob. Zeeb's here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. <laughs> And Ring Rose comes through. Oh. That is brilliant from Ring Rose. Ring Rose is going here. What a score.